Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Supply Chain Talk. My name is Alistair Charriton, and I'm your host today. So the soft news topic is on designing a supply chain network that meets your business objectives. But first of all, I'll briefly describe the format of the day um, of, the, of the afternoon. Uh, many of you know that, but for those of you new to the uh, show. So uh, we're first going to talk about um, a topical news item to do with supply chain, and I'll bring in my first guest to do that. And then I'll bring in the other two panelists, and then after discussing the news article, we'll move on to the main topic of the day. There'll be a panel on your screens um, for chat and Q&A, um, so do feel free to, uh, to chip in and we'll try and uh, talk to some of those questions and points uh, as the discussion progresses. So without further ado, let me invite René Godfredson uh, to join us. He's a Senior Procurement Advisor at Zillion Consulting. So welcome, René. Did you want to just briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, and thank you, uh, Alistair. Um, yeah, my name is Ray Gottfredson, and I am uh, currently a, a, a procurement uh, advisor slash consultant, and have a, a background within procurement, and and refer to myself as a procurement nerd, uh, and have been through many lines of uh, yeah different businesses and um, yeah and build organizations within procurement. I think that's the that's the short version for now. Okay, great. Thank you. So um, the article we're looking at is, um, uh, which will come up on the screen now, is about the White House announcing a slight shift in strategy in that the White House, just to summarize, the White House had encouraged the major ports in the USA to move to 24-7 operations to try and increase the throughput. Yeah, it appeared from the uh, from the article. Um, this is for the benefit of those uh, who haven't got a chance to flick through it that quickly. Um, it appeared that that policy didn't work particularly well. There was not a willingness in some places to switch to twenty four seven, and therefore they're suggesting that um, you know, the industry looks at alternative approaches like a container dwell fee. Um, and the main point is to try and get things in motion. So, uh, Rennie, what 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 are your thoughts on this? Yeah, but I, uh, my thoughts are that it's um, uh, that it's a, a confirmation that it's a changing world that we live in. Um, I think that that if we look back in, in you know five ten years ago, it, it let's say it, it wasn't that uh, normal. That I think that the White House suddenly has a, a keen interest to you know keeping the ports open twenty four seven, and and I think that it's. Um, yeah, a, 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 a topic which is interesting because it, it confirms that that sometimes the politicians need to to go in and interfere with the way the industry is is doing, let's say, doing the job. And I think that that we see it in Europe with the energy crisis and and other things as well, where not that they want to let's say necessarily change it. But 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 for a temporary period, sees that there is a demand for something working differently than it, let's say, has done in the past, and in in that regards, I think it's an interesting perspective. But it's also, of course, in this regards, um, it's an interesting perspective because suddenly the port says, you know, we don't mind trying, but but we can't, let's say, we can't make money on it, and it doesn't really. You know, we, we don't see that that it's necessary in order to get the goods in and out. And then they try with something else, which I think is 
a good way of, of addressing it. And I think the drill fee is um, yeah, definitely something that, that will uh, keep uh, the containers in the ports as short time as possible. Okay, it's initially what I mean, as you say, Rene, it is good that, that again, supply chain is, is getting kind of, you know, government attention. Um, yeah. But but in a way, I mean, is it an example where, where government's just interfering when they don't need to? I mean, the ports have got vessels queuing up, they've got lorries queuing up to take the containers away. They've got every incentive to, to speed it up and, and they were sort of told to do it in one way. That way doesn't seem to work. So is, was it an example maybe of, 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 of interference not working so well? I think that's that's uh, that's true, and I think that it it's. Um, I could imagine that it it maybe came out of of uh, let's say of, of of some of the challenges in other ports with with a high point of congestion. That suddenly that congestion, you know, is like the ketchup effect, and suddenly you you know, it all comes out at the same time. And it could be that that uh, for some let's say for a temporary period that opening up 24 seven is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the ports are, are, as you say, adult enough that, that, that if it's a, a really good solution to open up 24 seven and there is that much congestion that that's what you need to do. Yeah. But then they will also do it. But, but I also have to admit one thing is for the port to find the workers to keep it 24 seven. But you also got a lot of, uh, I was going to say, uh, truck drivers that needs to be able to get the containers in and out. If that means that the whole, let's say, it's not only the ports that needs to change. It's also a lot of the, the transportation companies. And of course, uh, even though that that the, the, the truck drivers then works in the middle of the night, yeah, but <laughs> where do they put them uh, and 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 i don't think that there is uh, because that means that the industry in regards to the companies receiving the containers in some regards also needs to at least some of them probably some of them already works uh, 24 7 but but it's not that normal you could say in the industry that that you receive goods in the middle of the night you know, you have people in the operation line. You may have one or two staff in the warehouse, but but it's not the let's say that common that that you have the same staff in the night as you have in the daytime. And I think that that I have to admit that I was a bit uh, surprised when I when I read the article as as uh, let's say uh, coming into this um, this talk here, because again it 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 seems that you know. Keeping the port open for twenty sub for seven, yeah, but that will not really, let's say, it, it won't really make a difference because you know it's it's not just the ports; it's it's the whole supply chain going uh, uh, into the factories. No, absolutely, it's a really good reminder of how everything is interconnected. And and the yeah. article itself did did mention that that some of the ports that did move to twenty four seven operations then ended up reducing the hours again because there just simply wasn't the utilization. Yeah. And as you say, it's 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 yes, yeah, not just the ships and, and, and the unloading that matters. Yeah. It's it's getting the containers connect, collected as well. But I do think it's an interesting point because I do see that 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 uh, you know the the, the the way that the world is changing, um, we can see that there can be a requirement for a period of time, that means three months, six months, nine months, whatever. That that for during a, a period of time, then then it can be necessary to open twenty four seven in order to 
you know, to have a congestion that needs to go out. And I think that it's the same that we, you know, we see in, in other parts of the world that, that suddenly, you know, the demand peaks and, and there is a requirement for doing things differently than what we have in the past. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, let me at this point bring in my other two guests, which are um, Jim Moise, um, who's a partner in the supply chain practice at Red Acorn Group. So, so welcome, Jim. And also Fernando Moncayo, who is the MD and co-founder of Inspectorio. So, um, uh, Jim, I can't see. Jim, if you are there, would you like to... Oh, here you are. Great. Uh, if you would like to uh, briefly introduce yourself and, and, and perhaps some, you know, kind of being based in the US, what, what are your perspectives of the, of the story? Yeah, James, you can start. Well, I can do it. Okay. Well, first uh, of all, yeah, go yeah, ahead, please. So, um, Jim Moise, uh, I've been in supply chain since 2002, uh, engineering and product development for that. And until the end of February, I was the vice president of global supply chain for uh, Modine Manufacturing. So um, we had uh, 41 plants in 17 countries, a lot of global sourcing. And so really fought my way through uh, the last several years. And, um, you know, the article is interesting. And, you know, being in America, what I would say is that um, the politicians felt they had to do something. So they did something. Um, the way things are structured legally in the U.S., uh, they can't really force people to work and they can't really force the ports to stay open. And as, as Renee spoke about, it's not just the people working at the port, it's the trucks, it's the trains, it's everybody in the yard that has to be there to, to flow things through. So, um, you know, and then the outcome, what it really kind of shows me or tells me is um, the real answer is, industry has to figure it out. Uh, the government is not going to do much for you. Anything they could do is generally going to take some time. Uh, adding facilities, um, any sort of regulations have to go through a, a long chain legally. Um, so I think it's really up to the companies. I, I think the companies have to look at what they're doing, uh, be it, you know, if they know a peak time like Christmas is coming, many of them always pull things early. Um, maybe if the government wants to put 24-7 uh, prior to a peak time, then they need a, a plan for all those involved running up to it uh, that they, they can actually do it and do it successfully. And, and the whole thing about fees, um, I, you know, we already have enough inflation. Um, and the reality is those fees will just be passed on. And the people who want the material are doing everything they can to get their hands on the material. So... I, I think you're punishing the innocent. And um, ultimately, I think what's going to solve this, really unfortunately, is you know we have runaway inflation uh, globally. So interest rates are going up. And at least in the US, the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve has said they're willing to push the economy into a recession to fix that. And so I think the unfortunate piece is this is gonna be resolved in not such a great way. Um, and the best thing is in the downtime, between really businesses figuring out how they want to go forward to be prepared for the next time we have a peak and, and change their, their processes and methodologies. Uh, you know, I think that's the solution. Okay, thank you. And, and Fernando, t t turning to you, uh, perhaps just, if first of all, you'd like to just introduce yourself and then very interested in your perspective, um, you know, because I guess visibility and, 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 you know, that flow of the ships as well as the actual ports is something to think about. So uh, over to you. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you very much for the invitation. A pleasure to be here. My name is Fernando Moncayo, Managing Director of Inspectorio. I've been also related with supply chain, especially production chain, what's going on at the factory floor since 2002 as well. Uh, so we have been uh, at the factory floor and also, you know, with Inspectorio managing everything where it's related with quality compliance and also order tracking um, as a software as a service platform. So regarding the article, uh, I believe that the article is, is, is mentioning, you know, what, what, what is the conclusion of, of a series of events that are not clear enough. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's still shocking that we are in 2022 and there is still a lot of all the processes that are happening in the supply chain that are just being managed by digital camera, pen and paper. Uh, there is a lack of connectivity. Uh, there is not a centralized place where you can put all the information. And uh, something that really, really in, in shocked me as well is the lack of the collaboration that we're having among the different players on, on an ecosystem. So independently of the company that we can be talking to or the brand that you know that you would like to mention, I believe that there is a lot of responsibility on how we can connect all these information, how we can move through technology into a different level of visualization and transparency on what's going on. Because you know what's going on at the at the at the port level. I mean, I believe that uh, there's a lot of areas of improvement if we can use technology as you know that that source of of uh, uh, identification on on what we can do on the supply chain. So okay. uh, many things to discuss based on the screens, but you know, working with more than eight thousand clients all around the world. I mean, uh, we, we we have you know we have seen different things that definitely you know at the end of the day you're going to be uh, seeing problems on the port but there is a lot of things uh, that you can do to improve at the production chain as well essentially uh, Rene, with your as you say as, as, as a procurement nerd i mean do, do, you, do you think the ports have got a lot of um uh, you know a lot of the delays in port and a lot of congestion in the ports is that due to just the lack of visibility of, of what's going on and kind of, you know, who's collecting the whole, the whole ecosystem as, as Fernando described it? I think it's difficult to, to generalize. Um, I think that in, in some ports uh, it works, uh, let's say, more professional than others. Um, it is my understanding uh, that that majority of the ports are things are fairly digital and you get, uh, let's say, things in and out uh, in, in, a, in a way, but but of course there are certain things with congestions that that it can let's say uh, you know you, you don't really know exactly when the containers arrive and and uh, exactly when you will be able to get them out. And I think that that's also uh, as at least as I understand Fernando's and and the company's uh, uh, you know visuality tool. It, it, it that is of course a, a, a a challenge because uh, again, um, people want their you know people want their their yeah goods and and whatever they have coming in they want it as soon as possible especially in these times. Um, so so I think that yes there is a, a, a challenge in in getting it but I also think that that yeah with the congestions and with the challenges that we see. That it, it's difficult to build tools that can that can handle any situation there is. Mm -hmm. mm, okay, and, and Jim, final point, perhaps before we move on to the to the main topic, is that uh, I think you sort of touched on it. I mean, 
you know, recruiting. I mean, you, know, you can't just tell the existing staff to work, you know, extra shifts. There's there's health and safety. There's regulations on on safe working when you're dealing with huge containers. I mean, it, was it just a real an, an unrealistic policy in the first place to kind of expect ports to suddenly switch on more capacity? You know, I I think um, it was a a nice idea from people who probably don't understand supply chain and all the all the challenges at a port. So I, I think there was a feeling that, hey, we have to do something. And wow, if we just work more for a while, that, that'll be great. But then like anything else, right, the devil is in the details. And so then it became quickly unrealistic. Um, and uh, now it just kind of goes away. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so but I, I agree with uh, both Renee and Fernando. I, I think the, the the software, the technology of uh, to track and to be prepared um is is the way to go and it it uh my former employer we had paired up with a a large shipper because we weren't large enough to have that software on our own and they actually had it and we really got i mean it was tough but we largely got through uh maybe with less money but but we had parts but that technology was so key if we had not done that it would have just been a complete disaster we would have been shutting down our factories and our customers so uh, Mm. that's that's the way to go Okay, great. Thank you. So maybe let's now move to the main subject about designing a supply chain that meets your business objectives. And, and I think the first sort of sub question we got here is, you know, what are the sort of key objectives biz- businesses have? And, and, and what are the critical questions a business should be asking? So perhaps some um, Fernando, may, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. I mean, what, what, what do you think is the sort of the real driving force to to how you design your supply chain these days? Yeah, well, I believe that every company is different and you have a different level of performance. So it's like being an athlete, you know, if you really want to run a marathon or do an Ironman, it depends on where you want to go, but especially where you are so far. So the first objective is, you know, trying to do an analysis on where you are and actually what's the level of transformation that you would like to have in your organization. So are we talking about only digitization? My personal opinion is that so far, especially after COVID, digitization should be a commodity. I mean, everybody should be, you know, on over digitization. For me, uh, once you know uh, that first objective, where you are and what you want to do, the second for me is, okay, beyond digitization, uh, what do you want to do? Because everybody can, you know, just download information. But, okay, how, what do you want to do with that data? So for me, it's a challenge on, okay, do you want to have only uh, information or data for yourself, or you really want to share with others? Even with silent collaboration, you know, on the industry, to 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 just trying to have uh, kind of a centralized data, but not only with your data, but also you know, uh, being helped by by others. And then, uh, what's the level of collaboration that you would like to have? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I definitely believe that the, the the companies that really want to collaborate and that they uh, see themselves as part of an ecosystem, you know, they are going to be part of the solution and not the problem. Um, one thing that that I'm seeing here as my personal opinion is that we really need to collaborate. We, depending on the software and the system that you are using, depending on the level of digitization that you are getting in, I mean, that data that is that you believe that is yours, of course it's yours, but also I believe that it's going to be super helpful if you can just share it with others in order to try to get this one source of truth and how we can collaborate among the, the industries, even among competitors through silent collaboration, is something that definitely can get you into a different level. So first of all, you know, see what you wanna do, where you wanna reach, and then trying to define a plan. 
depending especially on what's the level of digitization and data sharing and collaboration that you will to get. Okay, thank you. Rene, interesting on the point of collaboration, I mean, again, with your procurement experience, is, is, you know, is it safe to build a, a supply chain network based on your sort of current collaboration with key partners, key, key suppliers, when maybe a few years down the line, those suppliers may change or not be so collaborative? No, I'm, I think that it, it varies from industry to industry. I, I have to admit, I've, I've been in, in medical devices and pharma industry where you are, to a, a very high degree, you're locked to your suppliers. Of course, you can change them, but but then it, you know, it, it needs a lot of approval and, and things like that. So in, in that regards, I think that, that it's a really uh, a good point. And, and the more you can let's say, collaborate and build up systems that can, you know, uh, yeah, as we also talked about with, with the ports, that, that can foresee the challenges that, that arises. I think it's it's extremely good. I think that that in some uh, commodity businesses where, where let's say, in order to, to make money, you really need to negotiate the price uh, fairly often or or at least change suppliers or even have some big, big volumes that you need dual suppliers um, um, in, in, let's say, into the production at the same time. So I think it can be um, a little bit more difficult because sometimes you don't really know what the 100% when you start the month, you don't really know what the 100% looks like. Um, because of, of, let's say, the industry being as it is. Um, but I do believe that, that in, in, in all regards, I, I think that the more you collaborate, also, you know, suppliers and companies in between, it, it, the more you collaborate, um, it, it, the better it is. And and uh, but I have to admit I, I also have seen uh, a lot of examples uh, recently. I, I helped uh, a company in regards to uh, within the automation area to build uh, robots and and machines, and some of the suppliers in that uh, let's say within that segment, they have absolutely no idea when they will be able to deliver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and 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 that means that how do you have a you know and 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 that means that there are times where where software and and digitalization is extremely uh, a, a powerful and it can really help you and and as we talked about with the ports then there are other times where you know it, it you it, it works best if you have let's say the facts and and the data going through but but if you have somebody at one end who doesn't know when they will be able to deliver and it's extremely difficult Okay. And, and Jim, sort of actually interesting picking up on the point of sort of delivering to the customer or, or failing to. I mean, the other end of, of potentially setting up your supply chain network is start with the customer. Think how close you need to be, what the lead time is, what the distance is. You know, is that another approach to, to how you design your supply chain network? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, that that really is key. I, you know, depending on the type of company you're at, uh, it, it will really vary. But um, for most manufacturers, especially if you have large, large assemblies, um, you know, you want to be fairly close to your, where your customers are. And, you know, at your factory, be it if you're a true manufacturer or just assembling parts or some of both, um, then then you can walk back and, and decide uh, where where should your suppliers be located. And, you know, the, the thing that really falls or, or not falls, but becomes more and more of a decision uh, in the U.S. And, and in Europe more lately 
is uh, just all the tariffs and tariff structures. So when tariffs got put on in China first by under the Trump administration, but then Europe followed suit. Um, you know, the, uh, there are a lot of factors to decide, okay, I get from my factory to, to my customer, but where am I getting my parts from and what are the factors? So, so the ports and the congestion is one piece, but then there are tariffs. And, and really what it says is you, you not only have to have the good analytics for while goods are, are shipping, but you have to have a really, really sound commodity strategies that take all of these things into account. And you look at it with total cost of ownership and also the quality aspect of total cost of ownership, which means delivery in this case. And you, you really have to be forward thinking. And, and you know, we, I put those in place uh, at my former employer, but we would revisit them. You know, like it's not like you put it in place and five years later you look at it. Things change way too fast. So a strategy today in a truly strategic supplier, uh, that may change. So you have to revisit them every so often. But, but you have to take that good three to five year look as well as a six month look to make sure that you're, you're reacting properly. Absolutely. I mean, that leads nicely to the, to the next point of, 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 you know, how do you use the supply chain network modeling to make better network decisions? Mm -hmm. And I guess, Fernando, I may be picking up on that last point. The whole timescale of this is so difficult, isn't it? Because you're saying, you know, maybe building or leasing a warehouse, maybe a five year horizon is just about acceptable because you can mm -hmm. move out of it and sublet it if you need to after five years. But if you're building a major factory i mean that's a footprint that's going to be there for kind of 10 years minimum really and and you know is is it impossible to make any sort of decision on that sort of time frame with the changeable supply chains that we we have to deal with yes absolutely i mean from our experience since we're dealing more in the production chain you know what's going on on the factory floor and we have seen you know this transformation and also how uh, the different uh, brands and retailers are 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 willing to produce different products or doing faster whatsoever. I believe that for them is critical to know who is who, uh, talking about their partners. So the, the more information that you can have from your vendors and factories, um, the better decisions that you can take. And that information needs to be hopefully in real time. So that's why we really need to, to be careful talking about network. You really need to know um, who, what's the capabilities of, of, of that uh, vendor or factory? Because if a new project is going to appear, or, or uh, you're, you're going to know exactly who is going to be the best partner to choose from, you know, the different set of factories and vendors that you can have. To do that, you really need to, to verify the data and the information that you're taking from those vendors and factories in order to know precisely, you know, that that information is, is real and actually what's the real situation of that organization. Because as you know, you know, every organization can go into, you know, different type of cycles. So going back to the examples as, you know, as an athlete, I mean, there are going to be good months, bad months, even you can be ill. It depends on where you are. So if, if you want to really create a new project or create a new product, you, you need to have that information in real time. So you need to have better access to those vendors and, and factories, better communication, hopefully in real time once again, and also uh, need to have uh, real time responses of, of what's going on. Once you can have that type of, of, of information, you're going to have an end to end visibility on, okay, what I can really do. What are because your capabilities as an organization depends also on your partner's capabilities. So the better information that you can have, you know, the better decision making. 
So that's the power of the network. You really need to, in order to talk about uh, a network, you really need to know who are you working with. But that changes every day, every month. Yeah. So that's why you need to be interconnected. Okay, thank you. So, Sereni, I mean, thinking about that, I mean, that's quite a focus on on understanding your current suppliers and the current performance and, and so on. Absolutely. How do if you have new experience, Rennie, in terms of modeling supply chains, kind of what sort of scenario planning, scenario testing do you have to do to really be, be confident this is a network to last you five years, 10 years? I don't think that you can ever decide, uh, design a, in these days, I don't think that you can ever design a network that will be solid for the next five, 10 years. I think that, that there is one thing that, that, um, that I see that, that more and more companies starts working with in, in supply chain, which they didn't necessarily do before. And, and that's in regards to the risk management. That, that often I've seen risk management on a company level saying, you know, uh, what can disrupt our business model? What can disrupt? And, and then may have maybe a few critical, uh, you know, suppliers or crew critical segments. But I think that, that uh, at least I see right now that, that, that more and more companies are coming in sort of doing risk management in the supply network. Because they are going in saying, okay, yeah, but, you know, with what we have seen with COVID, with Ukraine, with, with um, yeah, the ports in, in um, I was going to say, in, in China, even at least in Europe with the, with the vessel that blocked uh, the Suez uh, Channel, you know, uh, and, and some are more predictable than others. But, but at least there are this risk management model uh, in supply chain where, where from a supplier point of view and from um, a, a, a transportation point of view that every three months people are having, okay, what could actually happen the next three months? If, you know, what we're not talking about is that, that if you look into certain sectors, what would actually occur if, if let's say, China suddenly invades Taiwan? what would actually occur and for you know some businesses maybe within food stuff okay it doesn't really matter in either in us or in in europe but if you are in the you know electrical sector and and uh, then i could assume that that would you know be very catastrophic and i think that that at least that's what i'm seeing that is that this review of the risks and of the current setup is there and then fully agree to you know you can't just build a warehouse in three months but but some of the risks you can mitigate and and then be i don't think we can ever be prepared for everything but but at least you can be prepared for for some of the things that that you have and i also think that that what i see is that 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 you know we had uh, the toyota way and just in time and i think that in many times Factories are now and, and companies are now reviewing it and saying, okay, you know, safety stocks has, has uh, from a class flow uh, point of view, never been a really uh, good buzzword. But, but we're seeing people starting to, to do things differently on, on, you know, on the critical items in order to prevent suddenly, you know, being out of stock and unable to, to produce anything.
So, so just Jim, I mean, moving to you, I and mean, I guess that, does that mean has, has your sort of advice to your clients changed when you're helping them model supply chains? Are you now saying forget about just in time? You need a lot more <laughs> warehouses to hold a lot. No, definitely, definitely, and 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 I would say that that if when I have gone through my my procurement career, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's when we look to total cost of ownership and everything. You know, then then having as little stock and uh, vendor management inventory and and uh, you know just in time, Absolutely. that was the buzzwords. We were you know pulling money out of uh, out of the supply chain, so to speak. Yeah. But but today it's more in the sense that that when we go in and 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 help companies uh, with with sort of how it's being done, yeah. But it's going out asking them and say, okay, yeah, but you know which. In some regards, which ten raw materials can you not afford to run out of? Absolutely, Jim. I mean, over to you on that one as well. You, you, yeah, no, I, big change there from lean and just in time to to you better hold stock. Yeah, you know, I I think that that uh, there's there's buzzwords or uh, things get popular, and so um, the just in time was great. But but really, what it did from uh, the OEM, it was great because he wasn't holding any inventory. Uh, but then the tier one, all of a sudden, and the tier two, they were all holding the inventory. So really, mm. it largely just pushed the risk and the cost of capital uh, to somebody else. And and I think what has happened is as the supply chains got longer and longer. Um, that's all just in time was, but there was still that inherent risk in the supply chain. And I, I think it all works well until the day that the things all go wrong. And that was the last couple of years. Mm. And so even though somebody from an OEM standpoint said, well, I didn't have that risk. My supplier did. Uh, the OEM still can build or, or wherever you were in that value chain. So I think I think like any catastrophic event, uh, it, it causes intelligent people to sit back and look. And I, I think now there's so much more talk about nearshoring or get out of Asia if you're in the U.S. and go to Mexico or or somewhere closer uh, or back to the U.S. So I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, it, it was great while it lasted, but it was really much more tenuous than anybody ever thought. And then the bad day came and, and you know, it all went south. So, yeah, I think the advice is much different today. And, and the same with buying uh, warehouses, you know, I, I went to a much more flexible and I recommend a much more flexible approach where, using 3PLs to uh, use their warehouses where you know that you're not, or that you're going to have a fluctuating demand. Mm. Um, you know, factories and, and equipment, sometimes you have to buy because that's the business you're in if you're in manufacturing. But all these other pieces of the supply chain, it may cost a little more, but the flexibility uh, that you gain by, you know, using other people's assets, um, I think in the long run, especially in these times, is much more worth it than, making those big investments and then eating them later in bankruptcy court. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a very interesting perspective, Jim. Thank you. So let's move to our third question, which is kind of, which I think, Fernando, this will be, be a great one for you to start with, which is how do you sort of gather and analyze the right data to help you meet your key objectives? Kind of what sort of data would it be and uh, how do you collect it? Well, first of all, if we're talking about data, we need to talk about digitization. And as I mentioned previously, it doesn't matter the system that you're using but they need to be able to connect. So API integration, real-time integration of the data is critical because the, the more data that you can get, you know, and, and super important to have one source of truth. You need to, it doesn't matter where you, 
you know, are getting different type of data, but you need to consolidate it in, in one place. And then once you have that information, validated data, you know, this is super important because it's not only about the integration of the data, it's how you can trust the data. Because otherwise, you know, if you just put uh, bad data, you know what you're gonna be uh, getting. So once you validate the data, you put in, in this one sort, sort of truth, you're gonna be able to just move into the next level. So even, you know, the what uh, Rene was talking about, this uh, risk management, uh, if you want to create different type of uh, algorithms, you know, uh, even using machine learning uh, as we do uh, in Inspectorio, we are super, super careful on trying to um, know where that data is, is coming. So we have, of course, our own tools uh, through mobile applications, uh, API integration to just get the data. But we talk with our clients and we just are super careful on, you know, whatever data that we're bringing into our algorithms, that the data should be validated. Once you have, you know, all the data, I mean, you can definitely move into this risk management, uh, a more preventive approach, you know, in our case on, on quality, preventive approach on compliance, also in order tracking. And then the, the very last uh, goal is, is to be more, more, more transparent, to be able to, to have this transparency among the different members of the ecosystem, because the better information that you can have once again, the, the better decision making, also the, the, the better that you can choose your business partners. But the most important part that we haven't talked is the final customer is also asking for that transparency. And the new uh, consumers, the millennium, they really want to know, you know, how the, the product was, was produced, you know, when was shipped, uh, what was probably the port or, or entry, when, you know, that product was in that specific uh, shelf. So it's super important that in order to bring that information to the final client, that I believe that is going to be a competitive advantage, not only now, but in the future, for sure, you know, in a very strong way, uh, you need to have, you know, that uh, capability of integrate data and have, you know, that validate data. So that that's, for me, the real transparency is the possibility to just disclose what's going on in your supply chain. Okay. Uh, Rene, so thinking about the procurement side of things, and, and I think we heard mentioned before about the, uh, the multi-tier supply chains, Get, what's your you know your experience your perspective on on how do you how do you measure data capture data you know tier one tier two down to tier four and beyond and how are you capturing data which is difficult emissions carbon footprint no one even knows how to calculate that even no moment. no and and unfortunately not um, I think that that um, I think data is is important and and I think data is king and and I also believe that you need Let's say to you, you you need some external software in order to uh, to to be able to analyze it. Uh, and even though you have a, a let's say BI, um, of, of, you need something uh, external in order to to get the right data out of 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 it. Um, but but it's also let's say it, for me it's also a little bit to what Fernando uh, started with saying. That that you need to take it one step at a time, and 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 that means that that you need to let's say sometimes help to to be able to say okay, but what is the natural next step, and then reach that step in I don't know six to nine months or even shorter depending on how big the step is, and then take it further, and then eventually you you know you can get a, a full solution. But but it is this part of 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 taking it step by step because if you suddenly Let's say if, if you need a, 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 a 
let's say, transparency in your supply chain and you don't have it today, then starting with, you know, what is the, the carbon footprint out in tier four? Uh, um, you know, maybe you just need to get in track when the parcel is actually being delivered and how it's being delivered. You know, then you need to start there and then you have to build it on and then you have to build it on. Um, and again, it, it, it comes down to cost because I also believe that sometimes you can actually also overanalyze it. Uh, and, and it also comes down to contribution in, the, in regards to your sales force to say what is it that your customer actually wants and are in some regards able to pay a little bit extra for uh, because that can be a selling point in, in you know, as, as Fernando also said. Yeah, but there are some customers who, who really want as much data as possible. And then there are, um, I have to admit, uh, I have been in, in some business to business where, yeah, of course they wanted to know when it came, but, 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 uh, but it, it, it wasn't that much uh, information or that detail they wanted. They just wanted the, the, you know, when do we have it on stock? Um, yeah. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, it, it, again, you need to take it step by step. And, and I think that that is uh, important because you can get a lot of data, but, but <laughs> and you can in it and, and you can sit and I don't know, but, but so, so, you know, get the proper help and, and make a, a plan and, and definitely find out where you want to start. Yeah. Uh, so certainly, certainly hearing there's, there's you know, kind of data at all levels, you know, incredibly detailed, you know, kind of uh, granular data that you can share on every single product, every single transaction, every single step of the supply chain. Yeah. But I guess, you know, think you're the overall subject today about designing a supply chain network. I mean, Jim, that sort of data is not going to be very helpful, is it? You want higher level data. You need to summarize. You need to look five years ahead. How, how do you cope with that in a world where there's just trillions of uh, points of data pouring out of every system? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it's the difference between data and usable information. And so I, I think the key thing is, um, as you as you design your supply chain, um, it, it's looking at what what do your end customers need and, and what do you need to run your business? And so, as Fernando said, you have more customers that are wanting to understand where things come from and how long it's been sitting on a shelf. You have other customers that really don't care, uh, even if they should. So um, I think a big piece of it is looking at your business and your business model and, and your end customers and their needs and then scoping it from there. And then as you scope that, uh, then you begin to see what do you ask for and what do you not ask for because it, it's just clutter to you at that point. So I, I think that's the key thing. You always focus on the end goal and, and what you need. But as you're laying it out, think about the flexibility that if you gain customers or you go into another product line that you can scale over and, and pick up that data. So you may not collect it day one, but you might need to collect it you know, year four. So I, I think the key thing is always think about what what is your end goal, and that's to serve your customer and, and your shareholders. Thank you. So um, we, we're sort of get, getting near the end of our, our time. So perhaps sort of to finish off, um, Fernando, can I ask for, yeah, what, what, what would be your single kind of point of advice? If there's one, one, one strong point to, to say to people looking at their supply chain network today and thinking about how to redesign them, what, what would be your, your single point of advice there? 
my single point is return on investment. Okay. <laughs> because I'm absolutely aligned with Jim, you know. I mean, you, uh, and also Rene mentioned, I mean, we can have a lot of different data. We can have all that collaboration. We can have beautiful charts, whatever, you know. But if you don't know exactly where you're going, it's going to be super difficult and it's impossible to just justify that you have a good return investment. Because at the end of the day, whatever tool that you can have, I mean, you need to justify it. whether it's going to be, you know, more more sales, there's going to be more brand equity, define that and define the return on investment criteria and then choose, you know, uh, of course, what's going to be the tool and, and the, the objectives need to be aligned to the return investment. Okay. Renee, same question for you. What, what would be your, your big, big, big piece of advice to, uh, to design networks these days? Be open-minded. Uh, let's say forget how it has looked for the last 15 years be open-minded in in what can actually do it today um i think that that would be that would be my because i see a lot of people going in you know with a mindset that says <laughs> this is how we've done it this is how it should be um and and i think that that you, you need to be um, open-minded in seeing you know other solutions and maybe not for all but then other solutions in some segments uh, and and just says one size does not necessarily fit all anymore um yeah thank you <laughs> i can see fernando he agrees yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> jim finally you absolutely yeah no i i think both fernando and renee uh are correct and i i would just say on top of what what they said is is, is you sit down to design um what your supply chain is going to look like. Um, think really broadly. Don't don't do what supply chain and ops and procurement people tend to do and think within your own group. Really look at what your business is doing, what your business wants to do, but also look at all the external forces. Look at if you're globally sourcing, look at legislation, look at uh, all the geopolitical things that are happening. And, um, you know, read a newspaper or literature that is broad thinking and and tie that into what you're doing because you don't build these things overnight and you don't it's hard to change them overnight so be forward looking but think broadly and outside of just your own own little area of expertise thank you very much that's that's great advice well look um, we, we've actually reached the the end of our time now so um, I'm, ha I'm afraid i haven't had time to to, to um, answer any of the, the questions or comments um from the audience, but I hope you've all uh, found it uh, a, a, an insightful and interesting discussion and, uh, for, for all of you listening. Um, so um, just before we finish off, uh, next uh, the next episode is on Wednesday. So uh, it's uh, your spoil this week with two, two episodes this week. So Wednesday at four o'clock on the 28th of September, and that is focusing on securing your supply chain during staff and stock shortages. So again, very topical. Um, so finally, um, thank you to my speakers, Rene Godfredson, from, uh, who's a senior procurement advisor at Zillion Consulting, um, Jim Moise, um, a partner in the supply chain practice at Red Acorn Group, and Fernando Moncayo, the MD and co-founder of Inspectorio. Thank you all very much and uh, look forward to seeing you um, at our next episode. Goodbye. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Goodbye.